You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. You too have been called by God in Christ, not by the word of men. You too have been called by God in Christ, not by the word of men. Okay, before we go any farther this morning, I don't want a show of hands. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. I know we've got some younger people. They don't understand it. That's good. We've got some older people that don't understand it. That's good. I'll keep it a secret from them because it's a little laugh between you and I, the person that does get it. What am I talking about? Sarcasm. Some of you might hear that word and you don't even know what the word I'm saying is. Let me give you an example. Now, I will warn you, if you don't know how to use sarcasm properly, you might get punched in the face for it, okay? Sarcasm is a very unique tool in language um, that you've probably used before or heard used before. Other people would say that it's a nasty habit that should be avoided especially around those of a more tender conscience. Now, in case you don't know what sarcasm is, here's the example I've got. Let's just say that you've not eaten for two days. You've been traveling. And you have a friend who collects you at the bus station. And you tell the story about how all the food was rotten on the trip. You're sure you would have gotten sick of it. You're starving to death, and you haven't eaten for two days. And then your friend, who's half listening to you, says, Well, are you hungry? And you respond, Who, me? No, it's not like I haven't eaten for two days or something. I'm not hungry at all. That would be sarcasm. Okay, It's one of my favorite tools. Uh, when I was younger, I had two siblings that were teenagers, and so at a very young age, I became well-versed in sarcasm. Children in the room... Uh, this could lead to parents uh, giving you a consequence. Husbands in the room, this could lead to emotional and physical pain for you if you use this with your wives. Wives, you're fine. We know that sometimes you get hungry and it's, everything's okay. You're allowed to say whatever you want to say. <laughs> Martin Luther, in his commentary on Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, outlines uh, habits that grow out of our work to justify ourselves. And one of the tools that Martin Luther used better than any other theologian that I've ever read is sarcasm. And so he starts off his commentary about the letter to the Galatians um, like this. You can imagine a bit of an applause in here. Uh, imagine it back then, there wouldn't have been newspapers, right? And so there would be a town crier who would stand in the middle of the city and announce what was the news for today. And this is the way that he presents Paul's letter. Let's hear it for self-righteousness and its 50 select virtues resulting from our works, as written by the Apostle Paul to the Galatians. What are some of these virtues or 
good habits. Now, remember, he's being sarcastic. These are not good habits. These do not lead to justification before God. Well, let me read the list for you. Just, I'm not going to read all 50, but we've already actually touched on some of them. And let me just read to you some of these virtues from chapter 1 and then chapter 2 that we've already touched on. It calls people away from grace. It embraces another gospel. This is us trying to justify ourselves. It disturbs the mind of the faithful. It flips the gospel of Christ upside down. It is damned. It seeks approval, human approval. It pleases men. It does not serve Christ. It is from men and does not proceed from the revelation of God. The most outstanding righteousness of the law produces nothing. In fact, it devastates Christ's church. It is impossible for works to justify. It makes sinners out of those who are righteous in Christ. It makes Christ a minister of sin. It rebuilds sin that was previously destroyed. It produces transgressors. It rejects God's grace. And it means that Christ has died in vain. Those are the first 18 of these 50 select virtues. So let's hear it for ourselves in that, Martin Luther would say. I've been trying to think of a way of summarizing the point of this letter because here's the deal. Another big idea for today would have been easy to find just on the verses that we were reading. But what it wouldn't have done is describe for us where we find ourselves in this letter and what the whole letter is trying to teach to us. So in thinking about ways that I could summarize, because I haven't done this yet for us, what I want us to take away from the book of Galatians, here it is. I want you to take away exactly what it is that the Apostle Paul wanted us to take away from this letter. And we find that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We know that a person is not justified, that is, made right and righteous before God, by works of the law, but rather through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order that to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And that's our big idea for this whole letter. By works of the law, that is by the things that we try to do to make ourselves right and righteous before God, we will never be justified. Instead, it will do everything that we listed off in those select virtues. It will actually tear us away from Christ. It will damn those that are hearing us preach that. And this is exactly where we left off last week, right? Because we started this letter with a nice little greeting from Paul. And then where Paul usually goes on to extol and to encourage the churches, uh, whether it be in Ephesus or Philippians or in Corinthians. Uh, Instead, here in Galatians, he takes a moment to very strongly reprimand the believers at the churches in Galatia. And then he goes on to instead give a word of apostolic, or that is from one of the apostles, apostolic blessing, 
He goes on to give an apostolic curse to those people that are teaching something other than what Paul taught. And in that, he says, look, if me or another apostle or even an angel were to come to you and preach something other than what was first delivered to you, let that person be accursed. And here now, as we step into these next verses, uh, we're, we're still in this history section. What has happened in the past with Paul and with the church in Galatia? And we'll be there again next week. But here, what we want to take away from today is that you have been called by God in Christ, not by the word of men. And we want to see why that is so important. We want to see why that is so important. So first, actually, let me not walk away from verse 10 yet, or from the previous verses, because it's really important to connect what we're reading in verse 11 back to what's already happened. And, and maybe I would say it like this, church, if someone is going to come to you and preach anything other than what we have heard each and every week at church, whether, and Paul's saying it, so I'll say it too, whether it's me or some other preacher or someone that you hear on TV or some motivational speaker that makes you think that you can get your life just right and therefore just right before God, let me or that person be accursed. And Paul has started to make an argument about who he is. See, all these other teachers are coming and they're saying, hey, look, we've learned from the rest of the apostles. This Paul guy, he was an apostle later on. He wasn't even one of the first apostles. But we, we learned from the source. And Paul now needs to make an argument for who he is and how it is that he became an apostle. So he's going to do just that. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me was not man's gospel. What does he mean by this? Well, what he means is he did not learn it from Peter. He did not learn it from any of the other apostles. So how in the world is it that Paul got this gospel, this good news about the, the life, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus for you? Where is it that he got this gospel? For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it from a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, we referenced Paul's story earlier on. I'm not going to go back to the book of Acts and read his whole story, but let, let's, let's get a glimpse of it real quick. Here's what happens. Paul's riding down the road. And a bright light shines from the sky. In this bright light, a voice from heaven speaks to him, and it is the voice of Jesus himself. And Paul knows immediately that he has made a huge mistake in many of his life choices. <laughs> He's been a persecutor of the church. Elsewhere, uh, in Ephesians, or in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this about himself. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence, pride, or, or, or confidence in what he has done, 
I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. <laughs> Paul was somebody. Paul was somebody. And clearly Paul thought fairly highly of himself there too, didn't he? But here we see that something changed in that moment. We read that Paul found his way. Uh, he was on the road to Damascus. He makes his way to Damascus and there he's met by someone. He's met by someone who doesn't immediately take him and, and send him to the rest of the apostles for vetting. No, he is met by this someone and this someone, this someone has been given a message from God to affirm Paul in his calling. He's been affirmed by the church in his calling to ministry. As crazy as it might seem, someone that was zealous for persecuting the church, now he has been called by Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What's interesting here in verse 14, I, I love what Paul says here because it's ambiguous in the text. That means he doesn't give a clear shape to what it is that he's talking about. He's, it doesn't seem like he's just talking about the law, although that is included here. He's also just talking about tradition in general, right? The thing that was handed down to him over generation after generation after generation. All of the traditions of his ancestors were important to him. And he was living them all out, fulfilling all of them. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. Church, this is the same for you and for me too, right? We can go our whole lives believing something. In fact, I won't even say it right now because it sounds crazy, but uh, Tara and I were sitting down and I said, hey T, were you ever taught this about this passage of Scripture? And so I, I opened up to the text, we're sitting down, we're reading it together, and all of a sudden I realized this is something that I blocked out of memory because frankly it was crazy, Okay. It was crazy, and, and in the midst of the craziness of believing this my whole life, that this was something that was taught in Scripture, we reread the passage, and I said to myself, oh, that passage doesn't teach that at all. My mind was changed in a moment by God's Word because I understood that there was something that I was believing that was wrong. It was actually something that for years I was afraid to open up to that text because I thought that it was too crazy to believe. Come to find out, it wasn't even something that Scripture taught. We all have the tendency to do this. And it's not just as it relates to the Bible. Maybe it is something that relates to our church tradition, but maybe it's just something that relates to your life in general. Something that was handed down to you from, your, from the traditions of your fathers, your ancestors. And so you carry it with you and it weighs you down and it weighs you down and it, it drags you away from the truth of God's Word and what it is that Christ has done for you in the Gospel. In that good news about 
what He has done for you on the cross. Paul is warning us against this as well. But when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace... Now this is really interesting. Um, because, yes, we could go into a whole theological thing here about how Christ sets people apart and how He calls them. But Paul's actually saying something far more simple than that right now. He, he's simply trying to get across the point that there is literally nothing that you do on your own in salvation. And there's nothing that grows or sprouts out of you that would cause you to be saved. What Paul's saying in this verse is that God has done it all. From the time that I was in my mother's womb, He called me. He set me apart before I was born. Part of what Paul's argument is here is that God set him apart to teach, but more generally, he's simply speaking about his call to salvation, that he was set apart to be saved by God. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, so when God did it all, even from the time before the time that I was born, and then who called me by his grace, so he didn't fail on that promise. He set me aside and then He called me. Was pleased to reveal His Son to me. How did He call Paul? By revealing the Son to him. By revealing the Son to him. In order that I might preach among the Gentiles. So then He ties it back into His teaching. Okay, we've got a lot going on here. But let me try to summarize it for you. Paul is giving you an argument about how his call to salvation worked and then how his call to teaching worked. And in it, he's not giving you a roadmap necessarily for what your call to salvation or call to, to ministry, whatever it looks like for you, looked like. Okay, He's not giving you a roadmap for how salvation must work for you. I highly doubt and I would question if any of you had that Damascus Road moment where you were blinded and scales were placed on your eyes and all of a sudden the voice of Jesus spoke to you and you believed. On the other hand, you're not an apostle, so that's okay. Paul's needing to make an argument about him being an apostle and being called to that work. Because everyone else around them is saying, no, no, I learned from the apostles. You're not one of those guys. You're not Peter. You're not John. You're not Matthew. He's saying, no, you're right. But I am an apostle. I was called by Jesus Himself. I was set aside by Jesus from before I was born. And here you are now, teachers of the law, coming in and saying Jesus plus the law might be able to save you if you do it right. May you be accursed. I love here this language that Paul uses that, that God was pleased to reveal His Son as well. Let me turn over actually we do need to... I, I thought I could get by without all the biographical detail this morning, but I can't. So I'm going to turn over to Acts. 
Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to start off, I already gave you part of the story, let me finish off the story here. The men that were traveling with him, that is Saul at this point, before his name was changed to Paul, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. (laughs) And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was He was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those who called upon his name? And and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So here, here we have Paul, and he has to get out of there quickly. But here's what happened. Uh, Paul was called by Jesus, yes, and then what happens when, when it's time for Paul to go into ministry itself? God uses an instrument, a man named Ananias, to place hands on Paul and to affirm him in the calling that he has received. So a couple important things. Ananias does not affirm Paul's apostleship. He doesn't say, yes, I am absolutely sure that Paul is an apostle. However, he does just what Jesus has called him to do, and that is to help Paul prepare for his ministry by giving his sight back and helping him regain his strength. What Paul is saying here in Galatians is that, hey, you teachers of the law, that have come to oppress the Christians, to bind their conscience, and to damn them? Listen closely. You learned what you thought was the Gospel from men. It was given to me directly by Jesus, and no man has ever told me what Gospel to preach. Just in case you didn't know, Paul's a unique person right now. 
Okay, at this part in the story, Paul is a unique person, and he needs the Galatians to understand that. He needs the Galatians to understand that they are being taught lies that will lead them to hell. And they need to receive the good news that was given to all of the apostles, including Paul. A question that we could definitely ask and should definitely ask um, is, uh, well, first Paul says, I did not go up to Jerusalem. That is, he didn't seek the approval of the other apostles. All the other apostles were in Jerusalem at the time, at the church there. Um, but he went away to Arabia. He went out to the desert. Why would he do this? Well, there's a couple reasons why we would do this. One of the reasons why is because he was called to go to the Gentiles. And he's probably out in the desert preaching the gospel. But just like a good Pharisee, Paul knew uh, his Old Testament very, very, very well. And the other thing that Paul was doing here is he is going through, combing through that Old Testament and seeing just exactly where Jesus is for the sinner in all of the Old Testament. Um, He's being led by the Spirit. He's being inspired by the Spirit here. Um, Once again, a unique calling given to the apostles and some of those that trained with the apostles to write the text of Scripture, what we hold in our hands today. He went away to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit with Peter and remained with him for 15 days. And and what Paul's saying in that is, look, I was only with Peter for 15 days. He didn't teach me anything that I didn't already know. I was already doing this for three years prior. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I am not lying. Then I went up to the regions of Syria and Sil... You got it. That other place. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Um, I love this little passage of Scripture because it reminds me of a day when there was no social media and there was no internet. And uh, things were still mysterious. No one knew who the Apostle Paul was. Uh, right now, there are certain teachers, certain things in the world that I would love to get away from, and I can't get away from them. They're all over the place. They're bombarding me uh, day in and day out. Right? We see it on the newspapers, in the shop. We see it everywhere that we go. One thing, though, that was constant in Paul's day is people attempting to undercut the gospel and people attempting to undercut justification. That is, you being made right before God by Jesus. Martin Luther says that the, the article, or that is the, the understanding, our understanding of justification is a slippery doctrine. It's a slippery set of beliefs. It's not because it is slippery in its own nature, but it's slippery within us. <laughs> I love this because um, just like those 50 select virtues, or at least the 18 that we read this morning, 
what it tells us is that that inclination that we have to try to redeem and save ourselves is absolutely built into us. So that when these false teachers come to Galatia, it all makes sense. Oh, well, yeah, no, Jesus died for our sins and we believe that we're saved by that. And the false teachers come and say, but are you really living the true Christian life? You know, the the true Christian life that follows all of the law? The true Christian life that leads to circumcision? The true Christian life? And what they're actually talking about is Judaism. We see this throughout all of Scripture, and we see this in our own lives as well. Um, I know that it is infinitely frustrating, believe you me, me as a pastor, it's frustrating for me too, when I stand up here and each and every week declare the forgiveness of sins, I, I, um, I preach to you that you are justifi- justified by faith alone, uh, in Christ alone, and I don't give you the 10 points to live by. I don't give you the, the 50 select virtues that are going to lead you closer to God. I don't give you the rules for life that are necessary to get by in this world. That's not my job. It's not Paul's job. And it sure, surely should not have been the job of these false preachers, these false prophets, and these false false apostles that were coming to the churches in Galatia. As we read about in 1 John this morning, um, the person that preaches that good news, the real good news, uh, is from God, and we know what the counterfeit looks like. They don't proclaim Jesus in all of His saving grace and mercy toward us. Another thing that we are all faced with each and every day is um, our own conscience, sure, but Satan himself afflicting our conscience, telling us that we must do more to stand properly in front of God. We talked about it last week, but the reality is you do have an angel that comes and proclaims something to you all the time. Whether it's in the text of the newspaper or in the self-help book or from the lips of a TV preacher, it's that the, the words of, well, frankly, of Satan that say to you, you must do this in order to be accepted by Christ. You must add on this little thing. You must live in this certain way in order to be accepted by Christ. And here the Apostle Paul is driving us towards what we're going to be getting more into next week, how this looks even in the lives of the Apostles themselves, in the relationships of the Apostles themselves. But we know that there is no person that is justified, that is made right and righteous by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Until next time, 
Know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.